Hello, and welcome to the Caring Congregation podcast, where we seek to educate and equip pastors and congregational care ministers to develop and implement congregational care ministry and to provide ongoing training and resources to existing care ministries. I'm Reverend Joy Dister Dominguez, and with me today is Reverend Heather Goddess Moore. And on today's episode, we're talking about human sexuality. This is the first part of a two-part episode series that fits within the larger context of our season. Uh, Season four is all about care for our youth. And it does because we are trying to talk about um, sex positivity and body image for our youth. And that seems like a, a really appropriate place that um, we have this discussion. So I do want to um, give our listeners a bit of a warning. We talk about um, body parts in the correct name. And uh, if that is offensive to you, I just want to give you kind of a warning about that as well. Uh, so let me give you a little bit of information about Reverend Heather Goddess Moore. Uh, Heather has worked in youth camping and discipleship ministries for over 20 years. A native Californian, Heather and her son moved to Texas in 2008 and never looked back. She's lived in Mesquite with her spouse, Jeffrey, a teenage son, Noah, and their chocolate lab, Leah, and feisty cat, Lucy. Heather serves in her appointments as the assistant director of lifelong learning in the office of external program at Perkins School of Theology at Southern Methodist University. She also is the minister to youth and young adults, St. Stephen United Methodist Church in Mesquite. As a provisional deacon in the United Methodist Church, Heather is passionate about standing at the threshold of the church, bridging the congregation with the community. Heather has a Bachelor of Arts in Sociology, focusing on teenage sexuality from Ashford University, which is now University of Arizona Global Campus, a Master's of Divinity and Master's of Theology, focusing on human sexuality and the church from Perkins School of Theology. She is currently uh, pursuing a Doctor of Liberal Studies degree at Southern Methodist University. In her studies, Heather discerned a call to work with churches, small groups, and individuals to facilitate conversations about human sexuality in all its parts to help people live into the fullness of their createdness in healthy, holistic ways. Her other favorite things include camping, music, karaoke, crafts, gardening, and baking. As you can see, Heather is just a perfect person to have this conversation and ask really deep, sensitive questions. Um, Heather's my my friend. We went to Israel together, and uh, we um, went to Perkins School of Theology together several years ago. So I'm really grateful that we can have this um, this conversation that is much much needed. I hope you enjoy it. Well, welcome, Heather. I'm so glad that you're with me today as we explore human sexuality and. Um, obviously the, the first question that comes to my mind is, uh, what prompted your passion and interest in human sexuality? That's always everybody's first question. <laughs> Why? <laughs> like, what? <What's> up? <laughs> Why? Why that? Um, so it's, I mean, it was a long time coming. So when I was getting my associate's degree, which I mean, wasn't that long ago, but was longer than I'd like to admit. Um, when my child was an infant, um, you know, I fell in love with sociology and mm-hmm. it ended up being my major in my undergraduate. And at the time 
I was a single mom. I had an infant son. I was navigating the waters of parenthood, let alone single parenthood, Mm -hmm. uh, social services and young adult life all at the same time. And, um, you know, not everybody has that experience, but a lot of us can kind of imagine, even those of us who are parents can kind of imagine what that might be like by yourself or, you know, so you can, you can empathize a little bit. Um, but you know, I was really lucky. I had a really strong support system. I had a family that was, you know, there for me and helped. Um, but the reality was, was I met a lot of women in, um, the WIC offices who were not that lucky. And they, um, this sort of started to simmer for me. Um, and a lot of other things I'm a pretty, uh, I'm an Enneagram six. So I'm very like intellectual I'm thinking about things all the time. And, um, so this just sort of started to spin in my head. And, um, and when I wrote my first sociology paper, um, I learned that the church was like the number two place where teens would get their information about what they, what to believe about sexuality. Mm, mm-hmm. And I thought, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> right. Like I grew up in a church that did, we, we did have a sexuality seminar that, that we went to as youth. And, um, you know, there were other things on occasion, but it, it wasn't like I could tell you what the church was telling me to believe about this in the same way that about Jesus or Mm -hmm. prayer or, you know, other things, uh, social justice, you know, like things that that are really a big piece of, of what we do. And so this was like a mind blowing moment for me. And, um, and then when I went in and I finished my associates and I went into my bachelor's, this information was really confirmed for me. And, um, so once I moved to Texas and I started uh, graduate school, And I started to recognize really how the church teaches or doesn't teach Mm -hmm. about sexuality, how that's actually teaching something. Sure. And so I started to unpack how I thought and envisioned a church should operate and how it could, it could be instrumental in changing how we as people of faith approach the many facets of human sexuality. Mm. So if you were to define human sexuality for our listeners, what does that mean to you? What does that encompass? Right. So uh, historically, you know, um, sexuality has always just been wrapped up in the physical act of sex. Um, in the recent decades, there might be a little bit more expansion to that. But for me, I really think that human sexuality is defined as the way that people experience and express themselves sexually. And this involves biological um sensual or erotic, physical, emotional, social, and spiritual feelings and behaviors. Um, so I think that it's, it's really important that we broaden it and we remember that all of those things come into play, um, in our definition of sexuality. And for our listeners, will you define how, and I'm sorry to put you on the spot here, but will you define, um, the difference between our sexuality and our gender? Sure, sure. Yeah. So sexuality. Um, well, okay. There's a couple of things. So sex, like your biological sex, the anatomical characteristics that you have uh, at birth, generally it's assigned at birth. Um, and so then your sexuality is the, um, usually understood as the physiological ways that you are attracted to people. Um, again, it's biological, phys- physical, emotional, social. So it's all these things, but, um, but it has to do with who you are attracted to, um, 
and, and the feelings you feel around that. And then gender is, um, is inside, right? Your gender is, is how you feel about, um, who you are and how you express that into the world. That's probably like the most simple way to Mm -hmm. describe it. Um, and we can get into that more if you want to at some point. No, I appreciate it. I I think it's important to separate that and really be able to define both of those. Um, As we continue to learn and to grow as a society, we're trying to understand. And I think um, knowledge is power, right? When we're able to just start as a baseline, okay, this is our understanding and this now, how do we build on from that? And so when you, when you talk about what the church taught about human sexuality, I want to I want to dive a little bit. I want to veer a little bit into that because I'm just thinking even of my own youth and what I was taught and even in in the United Methodist church, um, and how it varied so differently from other churches, other denominations, other faith, um, faith and religious practices. And so I'm curious if you were to kind of categorize what the spectrum, I want to say was, it still is <laughs> in, so, still in many, is. Yeah. many degrees. I'm curious if you can kind of help us understand the spectrum, just so people can say like, oh yeah, that's, that's how I would probably identify my understanding of human sexuality as a youth and what I was taught from the church. Honestly, I would say there are probably three camps. Okay. And one is the most, I, th- I think was the most prolific. There is the Catholic camp, mm-hmm. which is actually pretty good about teaching their sexual ethic. Um, the Catholics know from a very young age, what the purpose of sex is. And now of course it's narrow and it really does, does have to simply do with the physical act of sex. But I I would say that they definitely have, um, their way of doing it. And it's clear, it's clear, but narrow. Um, then you have the complete opposite end where you did there. I mean, I was a part of a fairly, I would not have put this label on them at the time, but like now would be considered a pretty liberal congregation that had like, we had weekends where we went to the sexuality seminar and we had a guest speaker that came in and talked about, you know, all the things, not just the physical act of sex, but intimacy mm-hmm. and boundaries and relationships and all the stuff. And, and we did so that. Your too. church taught you that? That was yes. a, through church? Wow. It was through church. Yeah. Ah, in the 90s, okay. okay. Right? Wow. So, I yeah, know. Yeah. Um, so there's that camp. Mm-hmm. And then there's, I think, the broad majority, which is what we would tie to purity culture, which mm-hmm. I would love to get into uh, later when we're talking about um, some of the other questions you had. Sure. Um, but really is about um, control, physical and emotional and mental control. And um, and it's seeped in shame. Mm-hmm. And it, it's really about, you know, um, that sex and sexuality is outside of our body. Mm-hmm. And it is something that we are as Christians, as good Christians, we are to control and um, keep in line so that we can advance the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, that to me is leaning more towards um, for, for women and girls though. Right. I mean, it's, oh, absolutely. <laughs> as opposed absolutely. to the, yeah, yeah. the, the yeah. male side of that. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously there's kind of blends of all of that and that's within Christianity. What about other, what about other religions, um, non-Western religions and around the world? What, what are your thoughts of 
teaching. I'm sorry. I no, it's okay. In I our pre-interview, but uh, I'm, I'm fascinated. So it's, it's, it's interesting that you bring this up because I've just been thinking about this in my um, doctoral studies is kind of trying to decide what my scope is going to be. Mm, mm-hmm. And if I'm going to branch into a non-Western sure. cultures and things like that, um, it's, it's fascinating to me. And I think I might dabble in it a little bit. It isn't an area that I've done a lot of work, mm-hmm. but, um, because really my focus is on American Christianity and sure. American sexuality, um, because American purity culture is very, very different than European. Mm. I don't even know that there's a purity culture in Europe actually, but you know, like, <laughs> um, or, or, uh, if we're, lo- if we're looking at like Chinese culture or mm-hmm. uh, purity culture just is very different in, in the different countries. But, um, I will say that American purity culture is, has been in, insidious in a lot of ways. Like I have, uh, Jewish and Muslim friends who are my age, who grew up in the nineties who wanted a true love weights ring because oh, all of yeah. their friends had one, yeah, yeah, even yeah. though they were not evangelical Christians. Right. Um, so, you know, I think that though they have their own sexual ethic, um, our sexual ethic actually influenced theirs greatly as, sure. as young people. So when you think of the founding of our country, was the, the sexual ethic brought over in the colonization? Okay. Sort of, sort of. Okay. So, um, so this is a really, I mean, this is my favorite part. So I just took a class on, the, <laughs> on it was a history class last semester. Mm-hmm. And what I, what I focused on in my final paper was how we got from Puritanism to purity culture. Um, because a lot of times we blame the Puritans I, and I, for one have done this, like I'm like, thanks Puritans, right. Um, for purity culture. And the reality is, is, is that's not, I mean, that is a way oversimplification of mm-hmm. what has happened. Mm-hmm. The Puritans were one of the groups that came over into the colonies because of religious persecution, right? They felt they could not live into the fullness of what God was calling them to be under the rule, um, of the the way that Britain was running and, and, um, how they were, how they were expecting religious groups to operate. And so they left and alongside the pilgrims were living, you know, in the colonies in order to be able to live uh, fruitful lives as they would call. And, and, and some of the Puritan values were about self-control and, you know, um, and, and stuff like that. And so, so, when the country was being founded, now of course, the next generation of Puritans were the ones that were starting the founding of the actual United States. And they became a part of government, of course, right? Like this concept of church separation of church and state is kind of a myth because at that point in time, like everything was inter- integrated and there was no, there was no separation really. Um <laughs> And so everything that the Puritans had been teaching and and reinforcing with their, even though they were small communities, they were communities. And so like a whole community was believing these ideals of of self-restraint and self-control, that sex was for procreation only, things like that, right? Um, 
And so when, um, when the evangelicals, and of course, at the beginning of the United States, everybody was evangelical. There was, I mean, there were Anglicans and there were, I mean, there were other, there were sects, but they weren't really, they weren't really as distinct as they are today. And in fact, some of the stuff that I was reading, I was laughing because I was reading about the evangelical church and, and names that I'm very familiar with um, that would be considered, you know, Calvinist people, you know, uh, leaders, uh, church leaders, and, and they're being supported and, and lauded by United Methodist mm-hmm. ministers at the mm-hmm. time, like George Whitfield. Like I was like, what? <laughs> why does he like this guy? Like, this right. is, oh my gosh. So, um, so it's right. It's like, everyone's in the same soup bowl. Like it's all just kind of whatever, but of course that's where, I mean, that is where Puritan, that's where purity culture started was mm-hmm. in kind of the bringing from just Puritan ideals into the evangelical church leaders, recognizing that these values are really good at controlling the community Mm -hmm. and getting them to do and act and be the way that we want them to be. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so then it goes, you know, as we go from there we go into slavery and then it becomes a completely different way of controlling the community. Mm-hmm. And this is where I think that the, the um, focus on women really came in, especially white women uh, really came into play because um, the best way to preserve purity or in that particular time frame, whiteness, right, was through white women. Mm-hmm. And so that's where we see laws coming into play. And that's where, that's where Puritanism and the ideals of Puritanism go from being communal kind of religious, personal decisions to laws and legal decisions that change people's lives and change the the trajectory completely. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, so then of course, you know, here we are 250 years later and um, (laughs) we know differently, right? Like we know science and psychology have have told us, have helped us to know that, uh, you know, our sexuality is an innate part of who we are. It's an innate part and a natural part of our humanness. And I mean, it's as natural as our heart beating or Mm -hmm. our lungs, you know, breathing and and doing what they're supposed to do. We can't control it. Sure. Right. Like we can't, we can make our heart beat slower or faster, right? Like with certain uh, techniques and exercises and things like that. Same thing with our lungs. We can breathe faster or slower, but they're still going to do that. Mm -hmm. Right. It's, Mm -hmm. it's not like we can stop it. Mm -hmm. Um, and so what we really need to do is we need to stop trying to suppress it, Mm -hmm. but instead try to care for it Mm -hmm. and nurture it and make it, make sure that it's continuing through our life in the healthiest way possible. I hope that you're finding this conversation helpful and informative. For additional resources, I invite you to check out our website, thecaringcongregation.com. And also, um, I hope that you'll register for our upcoming webinar. It's February 25th and 26th. There's still time to register. This is an excellent way to train your congregational care ministers, um, pastors, ways to bring your laity to form a congregational care ministry at your church. Because let's be honest, we can't do this alone. 
And we're not meant to do this alone. We are meant to equip the church to be the church. So please join us February 25th and 26th for our national webinar. And now back to our show. So often I think the church tries to separate out. We try to disjoint the areas of our life, including and especially sexuality. Yeah. And so, um, to me, that's, that's why when we're talking about care for youth and young adults, I think this is an ex- excellent place to start the conversation of human sexuality. And of course that doesn't negate the conversation about children's sexuality, but I feel like this is a good time to, to really dive deeper into this. Um, a book that really helped me is uh, shameless by Nadia Bowles Weber and, There's a part that I have underlined and starred, and I'm going to read it. It's found on page 19. She says, holiness is the union we experience with one another and with God. Holiness is when more than one become one, when what is fractured is made whole, singing in harmony, breastfeeding a baby, collective bargaining, dancing, admitting our pain to someone and hearing them say, me too. Holiness happens. When we are integrated as physical, spiritual, sexual, emotional, and political beings. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that was such an eye opener to me that I felt that in my very soul of sexuality is so much more than just one expression that happens behind closed doors, but it's, it is part of who we are. It is, we are holistic beings. And when we separate that part out of us, we're not honoring God, right? We're not honoring one another. I'm really fascinated by your interest (laughs) because I think this is what the church needs. I think, especially now more than ever. And so in your opinion, why is it important for the church to talk about sex and human sexuality, especially with young persons? I think, and as we talked about earlier, I think that the, the key pieces to this is first that I think it's, it's important that we all talk about sexuality. I mm-hmm. think it's important that we're talking to it with children, with sure. youth, with young adults, with adults, with each other, with, you know, um, even our parents. Like, I mean, I think, I think it's something that we need to just get comfortable talking about even our parents, even ah! our parents. Okay. And I, ah! I'm imagining having this conversation with your parents. That is so much fun <laughs> for, for our listeners. Heather knows my parents. <laughs> That would yeah. be so much fun. Ah, uh, I don't know about that. Mm. And so the, I think, so, but with that being said, like the reason I think that that is true and, and actually what I would argue that we do in some ways already talk about it in all these ways is because I believe that we need to broaden the definition of sexuality, that it's not just about sex. It's not just about the physical act of sex, but it's about all of these other things like gender norms and gender roles, marriage, mm-hmm. divorce, mm-hmm. child rearing, family mm-hmm. planning, family norms, um, sex, of course, sexuality, gender identity, abortion, sexual harassment and abuse, mm-hmm. um, porn, body image, beauty standards, um, you know, all, all the things. Mm-hmm. And um, because all of those things are informed by our basic understanding of God and humanity. And that's, to, that's what, that's what, uh, Nadia Boltz Weber is getting at there in, in that particular quote is she's saying like, 
Um, and this is actually a core piece in, in my credo. I don't know about yours, mm-hmm. but like I talked about that, that we are created to be in relationship with God in relationship with others, right? Like, so the cross being in relationship with God, be in relationship with others. And we are that we are in the cross of that. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. So holiness happens at that intersection yeah. and holiness can only happen within us when we are operating as our whole selves, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. means we are keeping in mind that how we relate with God and how we relate with each other. Um, we can, we can build better relationships, more holistic relationships as God intended, mm-hmm. but we have to recognize that sexuality is an innate part of who we are as created beings of God, not something that is put off to the side. Like it has always historically been sure. Um, sure. Maybe not taught specifically, but taught, you know, subliminally. And so how do you change that um, in, in our conversations? How do you change that? Is it just generationally we are awakened to, we have to do this different. And then the next generation, like, like for me and my son, my, I've got a nine month old son, right? Is that where now how I talk to him about his holistic self, uh, which includes sexuality, right? Is that how it changes or, or what do we, how do we do that? I mean, I think with anything, it's both and right. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll talk, I know we'll talk about this a little bit more later on when we get into like the practical aspects of what, mm-hmm. um, churches and, and leaders can do, but you know, the conversation has to start early with age appropriate topics and language. Um, and, and we have to start recognizing ourselves at whatever point in life we are that sexuality is not static. Yeah. It's not a, it's not a one and done thing, right? It's not something we learn about when we're 14 and then we don't have to think about again. Like Mm -hmm. it is something that is dynamic and our it's changing as our bodies and our lives change. And so when we approach human sexuality holistically as this broader definition will allow, then it allows us to be our whole self. It allows a person to bring their whole self in whatever time in life that they find themselves. Mm-hmm. And so it's important, even as you are, you know, raising your adorable little boy, like <laughs> to recognize that there are things about gender norms and, mm-hmm. um, um, roles and marriage and families and things that, are going to come up, you know, gender identity. You're going to meet people. He's going to meet people that he's going to have questions about, and you have to be a place where he can come and get that information. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, I, I have, I remember a day that we, um, my son Noah and I were in a drive through like at Taco Bell or something. And, um, we had the person on the other side of the microphone was taking our order and, um, their voice presented very masculine. And then we got to the window and they were not presenting very masculine. They were very feminine. Um, and so then Noah is in the back and, you know, and I didn't know this at the time, I didn't know until after we left, but, um, we, we got our meal and we left and um, then Noah said, mom, was that a boy or a girl? And I said, well, what made you ask that question? And, um, you know, he was like seven, I think eight, um, well, it had to have been eight. Cause I was at least here, I was here, um, at school. So, um, and I said, well, what made you ask that question? And so then he started kind of walking through 
his thought process. Mm -hmm. He said, well, when we were listening to that person's voice, we sounded like a man, but when we saw the person kind of looked like a woman, but then kind of looked like a man because of this and this and this. And so then I was able to kind of draw out more information from him and then answer the question. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, you know, he was able to kind of, I remember him saying something along the lines of like, Oh, like kind of like a tomboy or a Tom girl. And I was like, yeah, for an eight year old, like that's a good connection. Like, okay. Oh, yeah. Um, Very and so, yeah, like he, you know, he's, he's pretty astute kid. So <laughs> more and more conversations like that um, you have opportunities to set new norms mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. with your kids. Um, and that's true with youth as well. Uh, two weeks ago, I taught a workshop at uh, Perkins school of youth ministry on gender, on the importance of having the conversation about gender in, in youth ministry specifically. Mm-hmm. And, um, one of the things that I talked about was that like, we, we have to representation matters, right? Like them seeing these things happening in real life matters. And that's, that is how I think it's going to change. Like it might start out being, um, little things, right? Like somebody who's listening right now may have a 12 year old, right. And be thinking like, Oh, I've already missed the boat. Um, no, you can start now you can start and start changing, you know, the Rome wasn't built in a day. Um, you know, <laughs> we all know the Titanic didn't, you know, turn on a dime. You know, you've got to start kind of moving the ship mm-hmm. whatever way you can. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then at the same time, I think that big things need to also be happening. And that's why I do the work that I do is because then I can go in and I can drop bombs and, you know, let people <laughs> kind of figure out, sort through, figure out how to put it into play in their own mm-hmm. lives. And, mm-hmm. um, but I do, I think over a few generations, like this conversation is going to be antiquated and weird. Sure. <laughs> True. Well, and I think what, what I hear you saying is that it takes intentionality. And so you know, I, I never pictured myself as a boy mom. I really didn't as, as we identify him. Yeah. <laughs> it's so interesting that I, I remember I had this panic attack now. Now remember uh, it was, you know, hormonal, uh, hormonal, hormonal surges after giving birth are, are quite intense. And I just remember thinking like, I, I wasn't ready for this. Like, I don't know how, I don't know how to raise him. I don't know how to raise who society is calling him us as, a, as parents are calling him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember calling a few of my pastor friends who I love and respect who have, um, boys. And it was almost like a, it's okay, joy. Like it's, you just do one day at a time, one mm-hmm. at a time, one day at a time. And so I've tried to be intentional and I'm sure I fail in many ways, <laughs> but I try to be intentional in what I'm reading to him, what books are in his bookshelf. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope my mother-in-law doesn't listen to this, but she got us some like Disney princess books. And now we didn't know what we were having before, but yeah. I got through them away. Like I even just like that whole, like, uh-uh. like that isn't aligned with how I want even for women to be, or girls to be, um, portrayed. Right. And right. so, and I've had to do that if, I've had to deal with a few books. <laughs> well, and here's the reality, like on those types of books, it's not, it's not that you don't want him to be exposed to feminine things, right? but, no. but it's that you don't want him to be exposed to that 
the toxicity of that kind of yes. paradigm, right? Yes. And we're learning this about Disney princess, you know, stories. This is something that has been developing over the last decade or so. And, um, and so, yeah, no, I totally, I totally understand that. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, it's hard though. I mean, it's, it's even, you know, even as he's starting to figure out different body parts and I try to use the correct names for them. And, um, I think it starts, it starts there. Those um, are the easiest ways to do the, make the changes. <laughs> like literally the easiest ways is just to use the right words. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that will, it's always funny. This story always comes up. It's, we always get into the anatomical names for yeah. body parts and the story always comes up and I'm like, yeah. I have to tell the story and he doesn't yeah, care yeah. tell it. So it's fine. Okay. So Noah was 10. Yeah. He was probably 10, maybe 11. And he had locked himself in the bathroom when we have a rule in our house that no locked doors. And, um, and it's something that he had had, you know, this whole life. And part of it was because I was a single mom and sure. I didn't like, I didn't want to wonder what was happening. I didn't want to have to break down a door if I was, you know, cause I was renting places. So, um, yeah. but if something <laughs> happened or whatever, it was just, it's just a safety thing. Right. And, um, and so he knew this, but he had gone to the bathroom. He had locked himself in. And I was like, what is going on? Because mom, it's not right now. I'm busy. I, I'm fine. I'm not hurt. I'm not hurt. I'm okay. And I was like, there is a no locked doors rule. You need to unlock the door. And he said, well, don't do not come in here. I said, okay. Like, what, what's going on? Not right now, mom. Okay. I'm just going to stand here. If you need me, if there's something that you have a question about, or you need me, you just, I'll, I'll be right here. So I'm sitting outside the door and I'm thinking, what on earth is happening? Like, what, what could this be? And like, again, I'm a six. So like all these things are going through my head and I'm like, oh my gosh, like what, whatever. So he goes, mom. And if you have to like if you have to bleep this, it's totally fine. That's <laughs> okay. <laughs> Mom, there is a spot on my ball sack. And I was like at the door and I'm like, what? What? Oh, okay. Um, that's, that's not its name, mm-hmm. but what? Okay. Um, what does it look like? So like, I'm trying, I'm trying to like discern, like, what do I ask next? Do I say like, it's a scrotum or do I say, you know, um, go take a shower. Like, do I say like, what, like, where do I go? Where did you learn that word? Like what direction? So I finally said, okay, um, can you describe it to me? Like, is it black? Is it red? Is it a, you know, is it a bump? Like, Mm-hmm. you know, I'm thinking like, does he have testicular cancer? Like what's, what's happening? <laughs> right. And he goes, it's, it's a red, you know, spot on my ball sack. And, I was like, and I'm like laughing every time he says it. And I'm like, okay, get in the shower, the hot water. And, you know, I said, you know, that loofah that I bought you, you asked me to buy you. I want you to put lots of soap on that. And I want you to clean your scrotum. <laughs> really, really well. I said, because it's probably a zit and that's going to start happening, you know, cause you know, I said, you're, you're 10, 11, whatever it was at the time I said, and your body's going to start, you know, producing lots of oil and other grime. And so you need to clean yourself. And, and so he did. And like, you know, 15 minutes later, he comes out of the bathroom and he's, I mean, he's, and of course, Joy, you know, Noah. So like you can like probably see his faces and like the way he would do this. And he just comes out and he's shaking his head and he's like, 
I just, I don't know, mom. And I said, can I ask you a question? He said, sure. I said, where did you learn Mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. word. And he said, Oh, it's school, you know, like, yeah, you know, all the kids. And I was like, yeah, okay. I said, well, you know, it has, a, it has a real name. It has a name. And, and I would prefer, at least when you're talking with me and other people, you know, like me that you would call it, you know, by its real name. And he goes, okay, what is it? And I was like, it's scrotum. And he starts laughing <laughs> and he's like, that is the most ridiculous thing I have ever heard. <laughs> and I said, yeah, yeah. Welcome to Latin. <laughs> That's what it's called. So please, please use that language. And he said, okay. And he walked off. Now, fast forward like three or four years, we are having a conversation about something totally unrelated, but somehow mm-hmm. his mm-hmm. adorable little ADD brain brings it back. And he starts laughing and I said, what are you laughing about? And he goes, you remember that conversation about scrotums? It's <laughs> like, yeah, yes. And he's like, that was so funny. I said, Yes, it was. So, right. So like start young, start having mm-hmm. those conversations, mm-hmm. use the right words because mm-hmm. they will come back to you. They yeah. will come back to you and they will use the right language and, and you will start to see the change, the shift in, in that. Yeah. Okay. So I bet some people who are listening right now are probably pretty uncomfortable about oh, yeah. using the correct words, the correct yeah. names for body parts. Why is that? Why, why do we, cause I almost was like, I've got to put a, a note at the beginning, a content like, warning, <laughs> yes, which is, I, I want to be real. I want to be honest, but why does it make people feel uncomfortable? Yeah. Where, it's, where does that, we learn that shame early. I feel like that's exactly the right word. Um, so United States sexuality is steeped in shame and fear. Um, the nineties purity culture carries the brunt of the blame for this. And I think rightfully so, but it goes even further back. Like we talked about a little bit ago, um, you know, it was sexuality was weaponized, mm-hmm. um, to control and order the people and, um, prohibition, prohibition around sex outside of marriage, you know, came into play, um, as a political tool in, in slavery and, uh, procreation as the only legitimate reason for sex is rooted in the need to create bodies mm-hmm. to, fill the factories with industrialization. Right. So, Mm -hmm. so, I mean, it's all of these things, again, it's like just one brick on top of another in a foundation that is not healthy, Mm -hmm. not holistic, not God breathed. Right. And so then of course, um, nineties purity culture came around because the evangelical church and, and at this point in time, I re- I mean, like really the evangelical church, because at this point there's a lot more delineation between, but they started to realize that they were losing that same control that they had before um, with the sexual revolution in the sixties mm. and with the rise mm. of the second wave feminism. Yeah. And, um, and so what, what they started to do is they started to like circle the wagons. Right. And they sure. started to get into political positions and, and move that way. And they would, and they found scripture to support their stances while ignoring other parts of scripture. Right. So, Mm -hmm. so this is where, this is the foundation of why we are so uncomfortable. And of course today, most adults with young people in their homes, um, or at least in their immediate family grew up in this particular, what I call purity culture soup bowl right? Like it's all, it's in the water, it's everywhere. Um, and, and it doesn't, purity culture doesn't not touch 
Mm-hmm. You know, it just it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and so with a with with a worldview where the ideas and values are ingrained in the actual in the fabric, in the soup, you know, in the water. Um, and they grew up with parents who never talked about sexuality. It was like, yeah. just don't do it. Right. right? Like, don't do it till you're married. But what yeah. what is it? Like what right? Or they gave them a book or they, you know whatever. And, and the way that they learned was through their friends and through experience and through, you know, like those sort of things. They were never taught what their values were or why mm-hmm. they were mm-hmm. never taught to be able to articulate their own sexual ethic. They were never taught yeah. to be able to question or discern what God wants them to know about themselves or, you know, all the different facets of their sexuality. And they were raised by parents who lived by an, I said it, that settles it mm-hmm, rule. Mm-hmm. And, um, and as a result, they were susceptible to the toxic theology of purity culture, um, which made all things sexuality shameful. And that's especially true for women. Right. Yeah. So um, I think that's the biggest, that's the biggest thing that, that people are up against is they're uncomfortable talking about it because they don't know what to say. They don't feel equipped for the conversation. Mm -hmm. And, and I also think that adults now are often aware that their young people might actually know more about it than they do. Oh yeah. True. True. Even just difference between sexuality and gender. Right. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Cause it is, it is something that's changing constantly. Like the vocabulary and the, the, the landscape is changing a lot. Mm -hmm. Thanks for joining us today. This is just part one of a two-part conversation. There's so much uh, more rich content that is going to come next week. We drop brand new podcasts every Tuesday morning, 5 a.m. So subscribe, let us know that you're here, give us a star rating, and be sure to share this with your friends, your pastors, maybe even um, your youth directors or teenagers in your life that this would benefit. We hope that you'll check out our website for more information, thecaringcongregation.com. Be sure to like us on Facebook and share this episode. Thanks again. May God bless you and keep you.